0: Good morning. So we are out of Romans um, and, and we are into our next sermon series. So um, I'm I'm really excited. Uh, we we've prayed through, um, so I'm really excited about uh, about the sermon series. Um, we are going to be talking about work and rest. Um, we're going to be talking about work and rest. And so, um, as with anything, we always want to start out explaining why. Why do we want to go into this sermon series? Um, I think that it's an extremely important topic. Um, I think it's an important topic for a lot of different reasons. Um, one, because we're going to be spending a lot of time doing them. Uh, the average person spends anywhere between 70 and 90,000 hours working in their life. It's a pretty long relationship, and so I think that we should be thoughtful in how we approach that relationship. Um, not only that, but there's a lot of discontentment uh, about our work. Um, Gallup in their most recent poll in 2015 surveyed and uh, and they said that 30 only 32% of their employees are actually satisfied with work. 32% of employees. So our neighbors our workers, maybe even us, we're saying listen, I am dissatisfied with my work. I uh I don't don't like it. I don't care for it. And so I'm There's a problem. We have a problem with our understanding of work, our relationship with it, how we engage with it. Um, Not only this, but but work and rest is an important part of what it means to be human. There's a rhythm in work and rest. And if we don't approach this rhythm right, if we don't understand it right, then we miss out on a key part of what it actually means to be a human being. Um, We know this because... Even those that in, in retirement homes, you go and you survey a retirement home, and one of the chief things they say is, I just wish I had purpose. I just wish that I was used more, or that I could be engaged more. And, and when we're not working, there's a sense of meaninglessness. There's a sense of purposeless. Um, even for those that are mentally challenged, one of the key things that they've seen that actually brings emotional and physical well-being is actually engaging in work. And so we see that, that this balance of work and rest, it's, it's extremely important to us we're gonna spend a lot of time with it, and uh, and it makes a difference. But not only not only these things, because I think that the average person's pretty intuitive enough to know that hey, there's this is an important thing I should understand about how this balances into this rhythm in my life. Um, but for us specifically as Christians, we need to think about this topic because often we separate our faith and we compartmentalize it. We say I'm a Christian on Sunday, or I'm a Christian when I hang around my church friends, or when I go to church events. But our faith is categorized. And it doesn't affect our whole life. And one of the things we have to realize is that when Christ bids someone to come and follow him, he bids them to come in every area of their life. Christ doesn't segment his life that he gave to us. And he calls us not to segment our life when we come and follow him. Abraham Cooper um, says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. When Christ bids us to come, he bids us to come, all of us, in every part. And so our faith isn't to be something that we set aside as we approach work and rest, but instead it is to inform and guide how we are to work and rest. And so today we're going to do our first part of uh, three different talks about work. And so today we're going to really focus on the purpose of work. The purpose of work. And so, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me in Genesis, so we're going to be in the beginning, um, and we're going to look at a couple different parts. Genesis one twenty-six through 28, and then uh, 2, 5 through 9, and then once again, Genesis 2, 15. It says, in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then it picks up in 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a, midst, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So talking about the purpose of work, we're going to look at three things today. First, we're going to look at the origin of work, the origin of work. Then we're going to look at the intention of work. And then last, we're going to finish up with some guidelines for work. So the origin, intention, and guidelines. So first, the origin of work. Uh, A New York uh, Times article uh, once asked this question. It asked, is work good or bad? And it went on to to quote, it, it says, The book of Genesis says work is punishment for Adam's sin, and many of us count the days to the next vacation and see a contented retirement as the only reason for working. The author here thought that he was quoting the Bible. He thought that he had a perspective and was truthful about what the Bible actually teaches. But in fact, he was dead wrong. It's the exact opposite. What we see is that the Bible says that work is something actually good. Work was before the fall. Work is not a consequence because of sin or because of the fall. But instead, work is something that God does. Work is something that he commanded us to do in the middle of paradise. There's beauty, there's friendship, there's good food, there's sexuality, there's all these things. And right along with it, there's work. There's work in the middle of paradise. God himself does work. And not only that, but there will be work in heaven. Work is something that is consistent, that is good. And this is so, so revolutionary to when the Bible was written. Right? So just two different examples. So there's, uh, Near Eastern and then the Roman, uh, the Greek-Roman, um, Rome perspective that our society is built off of. So in the, in the Near Eastern, uh, religion, uh, Babylonian religion, they have a myth in which Marduk and, and Talmud, um, the gods are fighting amongst each other. Right? And so Marduk kills the older god Talmud and with his, with her body makes the heavens and the earth. And, and he forms man. And the reason, the purpose for which he forms man is to be a slave, to liberate the gods so they don't have to work. And so what you see here is that the purpose, the purpose of a good life is not to work in Near Eastern, that work is something that is subservient, that work is something that is, uh, that slaves do, that work is something that we have to rid ourselves of. It, it, we're shackled by work and that we just, to live a meaningful good life, we must get rid of work. We must run from it. We must, you know, it's below it. And so that's why the gods formed Man is to work while they could live a free, unhindered life. We see also in in the Greco-Roman worldview, um, you have the Greek myth of Pandora's box. Um, So Pandora's box is is a, a myth about Zeus trying to get back at humans. And so Zeus creates this woman named Pandora. And Pandora goes married, and, and because um, Prometheus had stolen fire, Zeus is getting back at Prometheus and, and back at mankind, and so he gives Pandora, and he gives her this gift. But he created her to, to not be able to, un, to not open it. And so Pandora eventually opens up this box. And what comes out of the box, right? When Pandora opens the box, all the evils of the world come out. right? We, disease, um, poverty, old age, and work. Right? Work is something that comes out of Pandora. Hard, it says hard toil is, is something that comes out. And, and Socrates and Plato both talked about, they said that the, the meaningful life, the life that is worth living is a life that is free from, from menial labor. Is a life that's free to think, unhindered from the, the constraints that the daily tasks of work require. By, Bi- the Bible goes right in the middle of both of these worldviews and it goes right in the teeth of it and says no. No, work is something that is profoundly good. Work is something that God has done and God has created us to work. We need work. We see in Genesis that God isn't afraid of getting his hands dirty. Right, we see that in the very beginning, God goes, and instead of, instead of forming man and then saying, I'm done working, right, God forms man, and then what does he do? He goes and he gets his hands dirty, and he goes and he plants a garden. So what we see is that God didn't create man so that he could rest, and so that he could stop working. No, he said work is important to what it means to be a human, what it means to be in existence. And so God shows us and demonstrates how to work he goes and he gets his hands dirty and he creates a garden and he demonstrates to man what it looks like to work and how to work. And so what we see is that work is is not something that is bad, but work is something that is good. We'll talk about next week how it's been distorted and how it's broken and the effects of, of the fall on how we work. But what we see is work was originally created very good. Work is something that God has done and God created us in his image to work. To observe to understand how he works and to work likewise, Tim Keller uh, Tim Keller writes uh, in his book every good Endeavor, according to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive we need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives and so I think it's important to realize that when God created he didn't create work simply as a commodity to get another resource. not that that's evil in and of itself, but originally there was work was created for it. There's a focus on the work rather than using the work to get something else that we wanted. And there is a quality and a goodness about it. So we see the origin of, origin of work. The work is something good. Work is something that God has done. And work is something that God created us to do likewise. So let's, let's look at some intentions. What are, what are some intentions of work? So if God works and God created us to work, then what exactly is work? What what actually constitutes work, and why do we work? Why do we why do we work? Why do we do it? Um, Dorothy Sayers was an author um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and saw World War One, World War Two, and then also afterwards. and uh, And she wrote a really good article called, called Why Work Matters, and talked about that if we don't have the correct attitude towards work, that it actually will destroy us as individuals and our society as a whole. And she talked about the quality of work that in, the, in World War I and World War II, she said there was a joy in the work that people went about, that they had joy in it. Why? Because the thing that they were doing was worth doing, that it had meaning, it had a purpose, and that it was an end rather than just using it to other ends, that they took joy in the quality of their work. She said afterwards she saw a change that happened. Instead of people caring about the work in itself, the work became a means to an end. And so people became doctors not because they cared about the patients but because they wanted the money. People, you know, went into different fields of business not because that's what they were gifted and qualified but because that's what they thought made them feel significant or have identity and status. And so because of that, the work actually suffered and society as a whole began to crumble because no one cared any longer about what was worth doing. They merely cared what they could do to get the ends that they wanted. And so she, uh, she writes this quote about what work is. says that work is the gracious expression of, the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. The gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. It's interesting because she talks about that the creator, right? God is a creator. That's the first thing that we know him as, that he created. And he has filled us with the ability to create, to form, to fashion. Uh, Keller uh, says another quote that I think is, is helpful. He says that work is the rearranging of the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. For the flourishing of everyone. I know those are deep, but I think those are really important and helpful as we think about what is work. Because when you think about whatever domain you're in, there are certain things that you're seeking to bring out, that you're seeking to help flourish. You're wanting to do something that would clarify and help someone. And so he says this is what work is. Now, why do we work? Um, there's a ton of reasons, ultimately because we are image bearers and we reflect the God that works. But I want to talk about two things particularly. Um, the first thing is the idea of cultivation, that we work as cultivators. Um, so in Genesis, it says uh, in verse uh, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, the ESV has a very uh, poor translation when it says work it. Um, the New American Standard says cultivate it. The New Living Translation has watch over it. And so what we have is this idea that God has placed us in the garden to cultivate. God has created us and work is intended to cultivate. Right? There's, there's five things that kind of go along with this. Um, uh, we see that it is uh, to be fruitful and multiply. And, and you can look at it. It says this in here in verse 26 if you look at the text. He says uh, that he put us in here to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion over it. So this is, this is called the cultural mandate, that we are to go and we are to influence culture. Now, what do you think of when you hear cultivate? When I think of cultivation, I think of a garden. Um, I'm from Kansas City, and so my parents have a garden, and that's one of the things that they love to do is it when I was in high school, my senior year, we, uh, I took botany, and so I brought a bunch of plants home, and we started going out in the garden, and my parents would dig up things, and we would begin to learn how to cultivate. What do you plant here, and where does the sun shine, and how do you get this to actually come up out of the ground? You have to be patient, right? Gardening isn't always easy. <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you think things will grow, and they don't. Uh, sometimes you think that, you know, you have to figure out how do you protect things, right? You have rabbits, you have bugs, you have all kinds of things that will come in and want to eat your garden. And so you have to, you have to be wise about how you go about cultivating. Patience, discipline. You have to do all of these things in order to see something come into fruition. But can I tell you, the end result, the end result of gardening is delicious, right? I mean, it's, it's awesome. I, I love nothing better than to go out there and we have fresh lettuce and to have tomatoes, right? And to have squash and cucumbers. To have all of these things, to have a meal set before you and to see the, the labor, the, f- the fruit of your labor. And, and this is the idea that God paints of us working. Is that in our work we're to cultivate. We're to be patient. We're to be disciplined. We're to listen. We're to understand. We're to help bring forth something to where we can see the fruit of our labor. We're to see the beauty and the goodness. Not simply of using something to get a result, but in the thing of itself. To help see things flourish as they were intended. It's a stewardship issue. Are we good stewards? You see, nothing that Adam and Eve had was theirs. It was all given to them from their father. And the same thing, when we realize that nothing we have is ours and of ourselves, that God has, has lent us these things, God has given these things that we would be wise stewards over them, that we would take care of them, then we realize that this is all unto the Lord. God is a gardener. He's a vine dresser. One of the things that we see in John 15 is that he is cultivating us. Do you see that in your life? If you have a relationship with the Lord, do you see how he's cultivated you? Do you see how he's spoken to you? How he's been patient with you? I think that's one of the most things is that the way that we work is by understanding how God works in our lives. If we are not seeing or understanding how God is working in our lives, then we're not going to have a good picture of what it means for us to work in our jobs and in the lives of others. God is patient with us when we sin. God's not quick to anger. That God knows that we're stubborn at times, and so he gently and lovingly continues to come and speak to us. That God doesn't bend or break, that he said fast in who he is. So we have to learn how is it that God operates in our lives that we might truly operate and love others in and in through our work. So it's a it's a stewardship issue. And then the next thing that I want to point out is that um, the point of work of why we work is that we might love others. We work in order that we might benefit other people. Um, you see it in verse 28 and 29. We didn't get to read that. But it talks about that what God created is that he created in order that he might give, in order that he might reveal himself. Work reveals the worker. Right? Work reveals the worker. And so we get to see and understand who God is by looking at his work, by looking at its beauty and its goodness. We get a dem- It demonstrates who God is and what he's like. And so, too, when we work, it demonstrates the worker but the motive for why we work is that we might love, that we might give. Is that what motivates us in work? Is that why we go to work? Is that we might see that we might love others? We, we need to because every single thing, every job has a purpose in the whole. Now, whereas the Greek and Roman view would say, listen, if you, you know, are a landscaper or if you clean the street, if you're a busboy, then that's a very menial task. The whole point of your life is to, is to get free of those menial tasks and, and to move on. The is good, that all work has value, that all work has dignity because it reflects God and because in it you get to love others. Our society would fall into a hole if we decided to stop working, right? If everybody said, well, I guess I'm just not going to work today, then guess what? We would have to do everything all on our own and we would be uh, not very productive in our lives. And so we realize that every single person has a part in the whole. And that what we do should be done in love. If you're a businessman, then how you approach work should be done that you might love and help other people. Not that you might swindle them. Not that you might get the, the most money out of a product that's not worth making. If you're a, a doctor, the reason that you go into practicing medicine is for the purpose of helping to heal others. That you might see them whole physically and pray that they might be whole spiritually. The motive for why we do what we do is is love. And if we forget that, we will begin to use people and miss out what work is made to be. And we see that because ultimately, what did God do? God in his work gave himself. We see it in the gospel. right? Christ came into this world in order that he might give. He finished the work that we can never do in order that he might save us. He gave on the cross that we might have. We each have to realize that we are part of a bigger whole and that we must love and we must give in order that others might be benefited and in order others might be made whole. Richard Pratt, um, talking about um, this understanding of, of helping and loving others, he says, the great king has summoned each of us into his throne room. Take this portion of my kingdom, he says. I am making you my steward over your office, your workbench, your kitchen stove. Put your heart into mastering this part of my world. Get it in order, unearth its treasures, do all you can with it. Then everyone will see what a glorious king I am. That's why we get up every morning and go to work. We don't labor simply to survive, insects do that. Our work is an honor, a privileged commission from our great king. God has given each of us a portion of his kingdom to explore and to develop its fullness. We work to honor God. We work to love others. We work to cultivate and to bring out the fullness of what God has given that we might see it flourish. That's the idea when he says, when he says fill and multiply the earth, he's not talking just about reproduction, right? That's a part of it. When he tells Adam and Eve to have children, what he's talking about, he's talking about build culture. He's talking about build systems where humanity survives, where humanity flourishes. Each part of our jobs as a whole in society is helping should be a part of humanity flourishing. And as Christians especially, we should be those that give. We should be those that lead the way in showing and building culture and being selfless in giving it rather than takers of it. As Christians, we should be the foremost of the ones that are sacrificing and giving our lives so that others might be made whole. We need to love our city. We need to love the place that God has put us in, that we might seek its well-being, that we might seek its goodness. So we've seen some some intentions that we are to work to cultivate and we're to work to love. Um, and then the last thing that I want to do is I want to talk about some practical guidelines. Um, this is, we hear this all the time. Whenever you, you've, all of us have probably gone through it. When we graduate high school or we go into college, what's the first thing? I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I am. Right? We're sensing for this identity or where am I to work. Um, many of us maybe are going through it still. Like, I'm in a job, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so I want to give some some very practical guidelines of how do you know where you should work? How do you know what you should do? Um, and why why should you do it? So three things. First, you need to look in. Second, you need to look out. And third, you need to look up. In, out, up. Um, First, you need to look in. The way that we know what we are made to do is by actually knowing ourselves. And so we need to take an inventory. What what gets you excited? What are you passionate about? Simply, what gets you excited? What are you passionate about? But what are you actually competent at? There's a lie. None of us are able to do everything that we want. Right, and so there are a limited capacity of abilities that we are able to do on our own. And so God has gifted us and enabled us to do a range of things. And the expression of those might be vastly different, but there's a range. All of us have of us have all the gifts, and so there's a range. What? Cool. Maybe that's a little. Is that better? Okay. Maybe that's a little bit better. I'm not cutting in and out. Uh, all of us have a range of gifts um, that we can do or not do. Um, and so taking taking inventory and saying, what is it that gets me excited, what makes me come alive is a really important first step in it. Um, that's a step that, honestly, my generation loves. We love that step is, man, I want to do something that makes me feel alive, that makes it different, all, all these things. And so we, we focus on that. But the next thing is we need to actually stop and say, not just is work about me, but work is about others. So I have to look out. And I have this question, what actually makes a difference? What is going to love and serve others? What is the the need in my community, in my area? We talk about this in the church. When you come in, oftentimes God gives you eyes to see what needs to be improved. And he does that that you might help. God does that in culture too. God does that in societies too. That he gives you a, a vision and a sight about what needs to be improved. Where is it that you can serve? What is it that you can help? And maybe this is what helps you to put... When do you find something in chaos and you want to put it in order? Because, you see, that's exactly the first thing that God does is God creates and then he takes out of this chaos and he starts creating order. And he has made us to do the same thing, is that we see there are certain things where it's chaos and we start to put things in structured order. And we're going to do that for the betterment of society, for the betterment of those around us, for our neighbors. And so where is that? And this should practically inform the jobs that you take to Because if you if you realize that there are certain things that I'm not good at, but then you do them anyways because you want status or identity, then you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others and you're frustrating them. And not only that, but you're not loving others practically. And so what we have to realize is that there might be jobs where we can do them, but they're at the very edge of our gifting. And it strains us to do them. It doesn't really help others. But there might be jobs at which we are really good at. We're awesome at it. And it hits us right in the sweet spot. We're passionate about it. We're excited about it. But yet it doesn't pay or doesn't give us a sense of identity that we think. And the Bible would urge us and say, what best helps others? What best helps others? What can we give our life away for? Who can we give our life away to? Knowing that that is what God has done for us. That God has given his life away for us. That we might live. That we might be made whole. And this is the motive that he encourages us to is how can we give our lives away to others that they might be made whole. So we look in, we look out. And then the last thing is is we look up. right? We look up because there's there's tons of people that, that aren't Christians that have that same perspective. They're like, you know, I want to help society and I, I look up, you know, or I look in, I look out. But the biggest thing is our work matters when it's in the Lord, when it's done into him. We do all things to the glory of God. And so there should be a sense of mission a sense of purpose that you go into your work. Martin Luther was, uh, was famous, kind of coined the term vocation. And what it means is that it means that all work is a calling from God, that God calls us to be at a specific place, at a specific time, and he has a job and a calling on us to do. And so all of us, all of us have different things. And it, hear this, it might not be, when I say God's calling, it might not be that God has this one perfect job for you. Right, But it means that there's a ranges, range of jobs that God might be calling you to do that would help others. And that God wants to send you on purpose there and on a mission. That you might evangelize, that you might share the gospel. Not only that, but that you might build a culture of rest, a culture of hard work, a culture of love, a culture of understanding. And so, do you feel that in your work? Do you know that God has called you there, that God is leading you there for a purpose? And ultimately that your work is going to glorify him. Because there's... If there are times where we make choices about jobs and we feel like it fits our skill set, it helps others, but we feel like there's another place where we can honor God more or we might bring more glory to him, then we are to, we are to walk in that. Or we are to bring more glory to him. And listen, this it might not always be easy. God doesn't call us to work in places that are easy by any means. But where God calls us, where God leads us, He will be with us. He will go before us. He will equip us and encourage us and strengthen us to walk along that that line that He leads us on. And we see this with Jesus, right? Ultimately, when we look at the cross, we knew in John fifteen three, Jesus is preparing, or John thirteen three, John uh, Jesus is preparing. He's washing the disciples' feet, and He knows He's about to be crucified. And he turns to me and it says that he knew where he'd come from. He knew who he was and he knew where he was going. And because he knew those things, it enabled him to wash the disciples' feet and to serve the very people that would betray him. Jesus knows that he is going to wash the feet of the very one that will kiss him and betray him to death. And he serves him. He works for him. God doesn't call us to do things that are easy, but he will equip us when we know who we are and we know where we're going. You will enable us and strengthen us to serve and to love, that we might see other people made whole. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for today. Thankful that your word encourages us and clarifies and challenges. God, I pray for us. Um, I pray that we would be faithful, Lord, to work on purpose, for a purpose, that we might make much of you in our work, God. Help us, Lord. Help us in whatever it is that we work, whether we're teachers or, or businessmen or doctors Lord, or lawyers or whatever it is, whatever we do, I pray that you would help us to, to get a sense of purpose, Lord, to cultivate, to love others. And we'd see that you've given your life for us, that we might give our lives for others. Strengthen us. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen.